And can we bless the band, please? Good job, guys. I, I like that new song. That's, that's a good song right there. If you're from Holland, would you just stand up, please? From Holland. All of y'all from Holland, just stand up. Netherlands, Holland. The same thing, isn't it? I think it is. Hey, I've been there four times, but I don't know. I, I just, I wanted to bless you. I feel like there's a great outpouring coming to Holland. I think 2015 is, is the year of outpouring for Holland. I saw God spreading like wildfire through Holland and right into, uh, right right into parliament, right into the political system. And I just release you guys with a Holy Spirit virus that's <laughs> contagious and has no inoculation. In Jesus' name, that you would spread this fire when you, get, when you land. When the plane lands on, in your country, that the a fire of God would come on you and you would begin to prophesy into the land and that not only would you have beautiful flowers, but the people would be beautiful. Flower children. A Jesus movement, flower child, Holy Spirit, get them, Father movement. I don't know. But I do honestly do feel like this is a special year for, for uh, Holland, for the Netherlands. And so just extend your hands to them right now. And, just say grace to you in Jesus' name, to your country. That's a good word right there. All right. It's good. And I'm sure God's moving in the other nations too. <laughs> I know. Sometimes we're like, well, I guess nothing's happening in our nation this year. <laughs> Might as well pray for Holland. <laughs> maybe we'll come next year and maybe it'll be our year. <laughs> so funny. Lauren uh, texted me this afternoon, and uh, my, my grandson, Evan, he's 10, and uh, he, he said this to her today. He said, he said, most people have three modes. Most people have a mad mode, a happy mode, and a normal mode. But Papa has four modes. His fourth mode is preaching mode, like seriously preaching mode. <laughs> oh, that's kind of cool, huh? I think it's a compliment. I'm not really sure at 10 if that is or not, actually. Anyway, Kathy, you want to take this? Bill can catch. Why don't you grab a hand and we'll just begin by just praying for that the mess would become a message. Yeah. Last time I, it was a little tough, so I, I ate a chocolate chip cookie. If annoying doesn't kick in, at least the sugar will. Bill said, if I eat enough of those, you won't know the difference. <laughs> so, Lord, we bless the anointing in the room would be sweet. Amen. That's good. Thought I'd tie those two together. Um, I I um, been just starting a series. Uh, last time I spoke, as was a couple weeks ago. And by the way, we just got back from D.C. and New York um, last week. It was really we had such a great time. Awesome things are happening in our in our country's foundation, which is 
good news because we get to hear the bad news all the time, so it's kind of good to know that there's, there's uh, Esther's and Joseph's and Daniel's and people in, that are, now they're standing before the, you know, the influences of our, of our nation and influencers of other nations, and they're speaking life into those nations, and it's, it's awesome, and I, I just, I'll tell you, every time I come back from D.C., I feel so hopeful. Uh, so, sometimes I go there not so hopeful, and then I, I, I come back, and I'm like, wow, you know, God has a plan. I don't know if you know that or not. <laughs> so, you know, if God didn't have a plan, I don't think the planet would be left, you know? Every time I think about how bad things are, I think, I wonder where God's at in the middle of this, because he, he always finds wiggle room. He just gets in there and figures out some way to get his, his people in really strategic places. And so, Ma's really good, and then we went on to New York, and um, Bill prophesied to our team, I think it was around a year ago, that God was really moving was going to move powerfully in New York and this year and, the, in, the, in, the, and in, the, in the years to follow. And we've been really seeing God move in New York. I've been there twice in a few months. I've only been there twice in my whole life, and it's both been the last few months. So it was awesome. And we were in a Latino church. It was awesome because my grandparents were Spanish. And so and, uh, I never realized like how sarcastic <laughs> the Latinos are. I felt right at home. Seriously, I could say anything, and they're like, that's so funny. There wasn't a single offense. I know it sounds ridiculous. <laughs> and uh, when I preached, they stood up and shouted and yelled, and I'm like, wow. Kissed me on both cheeks. I'm like, wow. <laughs> Gotta go check for lipstick, you know. I remember every time I'd come home, my grandmother would meet me at the front door and kiss me. You know, when you're a teenager, you know, it ain't so cool. Uh, I went to high school several times with lipstick on my bright red. My grandmother would write write red lipstick, and she'd kiss me on my cheek, and I'd forget. And I'd go to school, and they'd be all, hey, who's your girlfriend? (laughs) Yeah, she's mature. And if I, if I wiped it off while she's there, she's like, don't wipe off my kisses. And she kissed me again. So I had to remember it was there when I, before I got out of the car. So. And then uh, just, a funny, just funny stuff, you know. You remember funny stuff when you were a kid? We, we, had, a, uh, we had a 53 Chevy that my, my mom would drop me off two blocks from the, from the school. I would require that because it was a 53. And the glory cloud would cover it every time we come to a stoplight. <laughs> You know the glory cloud. And so I, I remember, I, this has nothing to do with my message, by the way. I'm doing what old men do. I turned 60. I can stand up here and just talk about the way it was. I want to play the way we were in the background. Bri, where are you, man? You need to learn a new song. So my mom would drop me off two blocks before school, and I would, you know, from school, and I would walk to school because I didn't want the glory cloud to cover the car while... And she parked out front. And one week, my mom was sick, and my, my father took me to school. And I said, hey, mom drops me off here. And he said, your mother told me to drop you off at school. I'm dropping you off at school. Now, I understand now what he meant, you know, when you're married. You follow directions. <laughs> Back then, I was a little more naive. 
And I said, no, no, drop me up. So he dropped me off right in front of the school, like right in front, revved the motor, the glory cloud (laughs) covered the car. I got out. He beeped the horn, rolled down the window and said, I love you. It's the only time in my teenage years he ever told me he loved me. People were like, who's that? I'm like, I don't know. Some guy picked me up while I was hitchhiking on the way here. Didn't we pray? I think we did. So, um, <laughs> feels like we should again. It might be that sugar's like starting to, <laughs> I'm feeling a little low. I'm waiting for the anointing to kick in. And on a serious note, what I, I, the Lord gave me a word, um, I don't know, a few, few months ago, just to, I guess it would have been a couple months ago uh, in December. And he told me that, um, that, at least for me, that Esther would be the book for the 2015. And that he would use the book of Esther to, as a, one of the tools to prepare the church. And so I, I just began to read the book of Esther. I haven't read it for a little while. And, and, um, and I started to realize, you know, the story of Esther, it's, it's, a, it's a really... In some ways, it's a really sad story, and some, you know, not the way we normally tell the, the story of, of Esther, but in some ways, it's a really, it's you know, ultimately a powerful story. But there, in the middle there, it gets kind of skewed. Did, have you noticed that? But the the part of it that that I love is that, uh, and the part that I saw, and I actually had this uh, vision. It wasn't an open vision. I saw it when I was praying through this um, through this year for this year. Um, the king, you know, obviously Esther becomes queen and the Jews are under assault from a man named Haman, who's the king's right-hand man. And you know the story pretty well, right? Just for some who may not know the story. And so um, Esther ends up in this, supposed to be a beauty contest. She actually stays overnight with the king, which most people don't tell you, but the Bible does in the story. Yeah, not exactly a beauty contest, not exactly the way we tell it in children's church. But um, the good thing about it is she came in first place. <laughs> you, know, you know, just to stop for just a minute, I'm going to tell you the rest of this, some more of the story. But isn't it interesting how we can celebrate people who didn't quite get it right 102 years later? But if they're living in our generation, we criticize them. I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but you know, Esther was the second wife of the king who divorced his first wife for no apparent reason. And, and it's, it's funny to me how it's okay for us to make a hero out of a divorcee as long as they're thousands of years removed from us. But if they walk in our midst, then we have this another whole attitude. And anyway, I, I shared about that last, last time I, I shared, I preached. But the other thing is just to, and, and what I'm saying, I'm not, you know, obviously God hates divorce. I'm not trying to promote divorce. I'm trying to promote redemption. Like, it doesn't matter how far you fall. I shouldn't say it doesn't matter. It matters. But you're, you never fall too far that God can't save you. You never get too deep in darkness that he can't rescue you. You never fall so fast that he can't catch you. And God, and it's amazing. I don't know, um, you know, obviously there's so many different people here tonight. I don't know your story. But whatever your story is, you know, how many of you know that all things work together for good? So if it's not good, it's, you know, it's not the end. All things work together for good in the end. So if it's not the end, it's, it's, if it's not good, it's not the end, right? 
And, um, and, and so Esther is really a beautiful story in, in a different way than we normally tell a story. In my mind, it's, it's a more powerful story the way the Bible tells a story than the way we, we clean it up. Because I think that a lot more people can relate to, um, to people that have issues whom God redeems than they can to perfect people who are, live a Photoshop life. Just my own opinion. I was thinking about this in... And I did talk about all this last, last time, but I was thinking about um, Israel, Jacob, whose name has changed to Israel. Do you know that the, the, the nation of Israel, which God blessed, right? Like in the Old Testament, God says, I'm going to so bless you. People are gonna, this, is, this was God's evangelism uh, strategy in the Old Testament. I'll, listen, Israel, you serve me. I'll so bless you. All the nations of the earth will be jealous. And I will use that jealousy to draw people to me. That was his strategy. Of course, we know that that sort of ebbed and flowed through history. And, and in other words, God, would we all agree that God blessed Israel, that God's intention is to and was to bless Israel? But did you ever think about how the nation of Israel started? You're like, it started, yeah, from 12, 12 tribes. How many of you know that? It came from 12, from 12 boys. How many know... Jacob's name was changed to Israel. And, and he had 12 sons and one daughter. Do you know that? Did you know that those sons that became the 12 tribes that became the nation of Israel came from two wives and two mistresses? And that Jacob only had two sons and a daughter from the woman he actually wanted to marry. Everybody else was an addition and my point is, is that God can take your broken life. I don't know if, how many people are actually this relates to in here. Probably all of us in some way. Probably if it doesn't relate to you, then it really relates to you. <laughs> God can take your broken life. He can take my broken life. He can, he can step into the midst of our broken life. And he can figure out a way to go, I'm going to so bless you that everyone around is going to look at you and want to know me. And here, this is in the Old Covenant. How many know the Old Covenant wasn't exactly redemptive? How many of you think the New Covenant is a better and more powerful covenant and much more grace-filled? How many would agree with that? In the Old Covenant, Jacob marries two women and has two mistresses and ends up with 12 kids, 13 kids, three, the only, only three of which he ever wanted. And God says, I can use that. I can use. He's not saying, hey, that's okay. He's saying, watch what I can do with your brokenness. Watch this. <laughs> Sirs, I'm just like, what you, I, I just, I'm going to stop tonight just for a minute and, because I, I feel the Holy Spirit or, or it's the chocolate chip cookies just like, re- <laughs> I'm not sure what it is, but. I just feel like I'm supposed to stay here for a moment and say this. Like, I don't know what your issue is, but whatever it is, whatever that thing is that says I'm disqualified, God can't use me. I'm like, no, no, you, no, you missed the point of the cross. Well, no, you don't understand. I did this, I did that, and therefore I can come to church. I get that, but I need to sit on the back. You sit in the back and kind of like, you know, my past is keeping me from my future. It's like, no, no, you, don't, you haven't done anything that bad that the blood of Jesus can't redeem you. 
This is, I mean, do you realize that, you know, 19 books of the Bible were written by murderers? Some of you are like, no way. I'm like, yeah, way. Moses wrote at least five books of the Bible, right? He murdered the Egyptian. Right? David murdered Uriah. Wrote all the Psalms, at least. Most of the Psalms. How about the Apostle Paul? Wrote 13 books of the New Testament. And led an onslaught against Christians. Maybe killed more Christians in his, in his day. Or, or at least he was... I actually don't know the facts on that. I just know that he led an entourage against Christians in the first century. And in the midst, I mean, this guy was like ISIS leader against the Christians. No, he really was. Killing first century Christians. He had an edict from the king to arrest anyone who was a Christian. And in fact, he was so well known that when he got saved, the apostles did not want him in to get close because they figured he, he was like KGB. He figured, they figured that he was trying, no, it's the truth. He, they didn't trust him. They thought he was trying to get close to them to see where their house churches were so he can arrest more, more Christians. And thank God for Barnabas. It says Barnabas took a hold of him, but it says the apostles were all afraid of him. And so, and this guy wrote 13 books of the New Testament. I, I, I'm not saying like, go kill someone and write a book. I'm not saying that. <laughs> I'm not saying get a divorce and God will use you more. I'm not saying that. L- listen, you know, all of that stuff hurts people. And when God, God hates sin because God loves people. Listen, if you really love people, you have to hate sin. Because sin is the enemy of humanity. Sin's a greater u- enemy to humanity than the devil is. And so God hates sin because sin hurts people. So God hates divorce because divorce hurts people. Not because, like, well, you better just stay there. Listen, I don't care how bad you... Listen, listen, I didn't say you'd be happy. I just said you're going to get to heaven. No, no, God, God knows the stress and the, and, the, and the destruction when you take two people and you make them one and then you try to pull them apart again. He knows what happens. And how, and how destructive. And everybody in here that's, had a, that's been divorced, you know it too. So I'm not I'm preaching to the choir. For any of you who've gone through it, you're like, amen, brother. I get it. And, um, and our family's been through that, so we know. But my point is, is that nobody in this room, not only you're not disqualified from being a believer, you're not disqualified from making history. You're not disqualified for making history. You're not disqualified. Like, you're not in the back row. The further you fall, the, you know, it's, it's like I see, I see people, you know, have great setbacks. And I always think of it like a bow. You know, the further you, you, you pull back, the more velocity there is in your arrow. And some of your kids, I do, you know, some of your kids are working on their testimony. You know, I got Johnny. He's a pastor. I got... You know, Mary, she's a, she, she's a prophetess. And I got Joe, and he's working on his testimony in prison. He's going to be a Joseph. <laughs> he's going to take over the prison pretty soon. And, and so, um, just be encouraged. 
And uh, the other thing, other thing that's really important about this is if you have an answer that isn't redemptive, you don't have God's answer. If, if, you're, if the scripture you're using to solve a problem doesn't redeem that, that problem, that person, that, that country, that whatever, you got the wrong, you're using it the wrong way. Because, you know, God, he, he, did a, he did a lot to make sure that, what, that the scriptures are redemptive. So when you use the scriptures in a way that is unredemptive, I don't think you have the heart of the Father. The heart of the Father is to redeem people, is to restore them to a, a better place than they were. And so that's the, overarching, that's the overarching message of the New Testament, isn't it? That no matter what you did, he can forgive you, and that he, that he restores you, and that he redeems you, and that forgiveness restores the standard, and he can put you at a higher place than you fell from. So that's a good word. And the rest of the uh, prophetic word, uh, I'll just give it to you in a nutshell, and then I want to talk about a few things out of Esther tonight. The rest of the, that prophetic word is that Haman um, convinced the king to kill the Jews. I don't want to give away this part of the story, but because basically Mordecai wouldn't bow down to him. And, um, and Esther's uh, Jewish um, heritage, the king didn't know that Esther was a Jew. And so he made a decree that all the Jews could be killed because Haman was so trusted. And, and then, you know, he finds out later through Esther being invited to dinner with the king that Esther's a Jew and that Haman's actually his enemy. But this part of the story, which is probably the most famous part of the Esther story, is that Mordecai is outside the castle chucking rocks at the palace wall. He's tore his clothes. He's, he's not looking noble. And everybody knows that Mordecai and Esther are related. He's actually kind of her surrogate father because her parents died. And so he's, he, because the decree has went out to kill all the Jews, he throws dirt on his head, he rips his clothes, and he's, and he's, he's walking back and forth in front of the, the palace, and he, he, doesn't look, he doesn't look royal, he doesn't look noble. And Esther is sending him messages by her servants saying to Mordecai, hey, clean up, you know, put some nice clothes on, hey. And, and Mordecai isn't having any of that. And he says to Esther something like this, he says to Esther, you know, do you understand that this decree is against the Jews and you happen to be one? Do you know that we're all going to die and that would include you? Do you think that those palace walls are going to save you? They are not. And if you don't rise up and, see, and go see the king, we're going to all die. And she sends a message back and says, the king hasn't summoned me for 30 days, and there's a law that says we can't go see the king unless he asks. And if I walk in to see the king, I'm going to die. And, and he sends back a message and says, what if you retained royalty for such a time as this? Hey, baby, what if you were in the right place at the exact right time? 
what if you're going to die one way or the other? Let's just let's make this clear. If you don't go in, you're going to die. And if you do go in, you might die. He said, what if, most famous words, right? What if you attained royalty for a time like this? What if all this happened and you won that beauty contest and you, you actually, God made you beautiful and you attracted to the king? What, what, if, what if all of this, this mess that he made with his first wife and all that stuff, he divorced her. What if, what if all of this actually is about you, that God placed you here for a time like this. What if you are the right person at the right time, in the right place, with the right king? What if you were wrong and maybe you were called? And by the way, let me just remind you of this, Esther. If you don't go see the king, the Lord will raise somebody else up. And you will perish. And so will your whole family. So she tells the king, tells Mordecai, all right, I'll do it. But only if you and your people pray, and me and my people will pray, and then I'll go in to see the king. You know how the story goes. They all pray. I think it was for a week. They pray. They fast. And Esther braves the door of the throne room. And when the king sees his beautiful queen standing in the doorway, he rises and extends his scepter. Come in here. Tell me what's on your mind. She said, I'd like to have dinner with you and Haman. Great. I'll give you anything up to half my kingdom. I like that part. Anything you want to half my kingdom. She has dinner that night. And for whatever reason, and I'm not sure it's clear, I read it a few times. Maybe someone has some insight. But she chooses to not tell the king about the whole plot against the Jews that Haman has inspired. She waits, and, she's, and during dinner, the king says, so, kind of like, what's so important that we're having this dinner that you've made for us? And she said, well, actually, I'd like to meet again tomorrow night. Have another dinner. I said, this one was good. And by the way, tomorrow I will still give you half of my kingdom. Up to half of my kingdom. She goes in the second day, sits with Haman. Now Haman is really, you know, he is... In the meantime, he's had a struggle, you know, Haman. Because the king has a dream in between these dinners. And Haman's feeling like, hey, he goes back and he tells his friends, you think, I thought I was cool before. I am really cool now. Like, even Esther only invited two people to dinner, and I was one of them. They're like, you go, man. You got it. Queen loves you. King loves you. You got it made. And 
So in between that time, the king has a dream. I'm sorry, he doesn't have a dream. That's not true. The king can't sleep. <laughs> There's a lot of kings in the Bible. You've got to get them straight. You know, some of them had dreams and some of them don't. The king can't sleep. And he's up at night and he's pacing his floor and he's reading through his journals or some kind of kingly journals. And, and he sees, well, I don't know what they are. You know the story better, you tell the story. My grandson said, I'll have an anointing to preach. And he reads about Mordecai and he remembers earlier on in, in, their, in their life, maybe a couple of few years before, Mordecai hears about a plot to kill the king and Mordecai lets the king know that there's a conspiracy and he's going to be killed. And the king checks it out and sure enough, Mordecai is telling the truth and saves the king's life. And so the king gets up in the middle of the night, just happens to not be able to sleep on this one particular night. I'm sure it's a complete coincidence. And he's walking the floor, and he really is reading something, and he's like, hey, did we do anything for that guy? So he calls Haman in. He looks around, who's close? Haman's there. Hey, Haman, come in here. Uh, Hey, what should the king do for a guy who he really wants to honor. Like, like he really, really, really wants to honor him. And of course, Haman thinks it's him. He's like, well, my opinion is, you should put on the king's robe, and you should put a crown on his head, and put him on the king's donkey, and ride him through town, and shout, this man's honored by the king. Something like that. And the king goes, that's a great idea. Go do that for Mordecai. <laughs> That's a great story. I mean, you know the story. It's almost funny. And, you know, the day before he built gallows to hang him on. And the king's all, go honor Mordecai, and I want you to walk through the streets and say, the king is honoring this man. Get, put my robe and put him on my donkey, you know? <laughs> Let him ride in my limo. <laughs> He's so frustrated. He's like so embarrassed. When he gets home and he's like totally frustrated and embarrassed and he tells his wife and he tells his friends, oh, the guy I wanted to kill, the king dishonored. Not only that, but I had to do it. And he's like, well, at least the queen invited me to dinner. (laughs) He doesn't know the queen's about to have him for dinner like Jesus with the Pharisees. You know, Pharisee invites Jesus over for dinner and Jesus has the Pharisee for dinner. You whitewashed tombs full of dead man's bones. Pass the corn. (laughs) People that don't think Jesus can confront, I don't know what Bible they're reading. They just don't have any problem confronting anybody. I have someone write me and say, no, he confronted the Pharisees. Like, he was pretty hard on Peter too. I think Bill mentioned it today. Call him Satan. Get behind me, Satan. That's encouraging. (laughs) Did he leave? (laughs) And so the queen sits down at the second dinner with Haman and the king. 
And he be, she begins to tell the king this little story about, hey, you know, you sign this decree, you kill all the Jews. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, well, <laughs> what I forgot to tell you is I am one. And this guy right here that's sitting at the table with us, yeah, yeah, he actually tricked you into making that decree because he hates my uncle Mordecai, who saved your butt. <laughs> I don't think she used butt. It wasn't in the, <laughs> probably in the original Hebrew, but it wasn't in the translation. Yeah, that guy Mordecai that you honored and the queen that you married were Jews. Yeah, and this guy right here, he's an enemy of the queen and an enemy of the guy who saved your hiney. The king stands up from dinner, walks out into the garden, and leaves Haman there. <laughs> Haman falls down on the ground, he's like, begging for his life, hanging on to Esther, and the king comes in and he's like, now you're gonna, ins- you're gonna assault my queen. Take him out and hang him on the gallows that he built. Oh, that part of the story, it's so Old Testament, but I still, I, I, know I, I know as a Christian I should forgive him, but you know, I just don't. I'm so thankful he lives on that side of the cross so I could just hate him, you know? Because he's alive on this side of the cross, then I have to love him. Love your enemies and all that. I'm like, love him, then hang him. (laughs) Kind of a different model I have right now. And so the story goes that they, they hang him on the gallows that he built for Haman. I don't think that was part was actually part of the prophecy I had for y'all. <laughs> 2015. The prophecy kind of ends with this part, that the king, the kings of the earth are extending scepter to the bride of Christ, whom I deem in the story as Esther. Esther doesn't get it all right, but she is favored by the king. Her, she doesn't have a perfect life, but she's favored by the king. She's born on the wrong side of the tracks, but she's favored by the king. She's lost her mom and dad, but she's still favored by the king. This is the word of the Lord for 2015. And this part um, was earlier too, but I need to tell, in case you didn't hear the word I gave a couple weeks ago, they prepared Esther to see the king. Well, we're moving back in the story. She prepared to see the king. The king, you know, met her one night, you know, when, the, when they were having the contest. She stayed overnight with him. The king loved her, but he made her prepare for a year because even though he favored her, she wasn't ready to be royalty. Does that mean anything to you? Even though the king favored her, it says that when, she, when the king met Esther, he immediately loved her. Two verses later, and Esther was prepared for 12 months to see the king. The king favored her, but she had yet to prepare to rule with him. And this is part of the word I had for this year. 
She was prepared for six months with the oil of myrrh, which is actually a detoxing agent. It's rubbed on the skin, it's used as an antiseptic, and it, it heals wounds, and it, it also um, takes care of any parasites in the skin, and basically, she's detoxed for six months. Does that mean anything to anybody? Like before you see the, before you're ready not see the king, before you're ready to reign with the king, you have to get detoxed because you don't want to, you don't want to rule out of reaction. You don't, are you with me? You don't want to lead out of reaction. You don't want to bring your crap stuff. You don't want to bring your stuff, you know, your stuff that stinks. I think I did all right with the first word I was using. You don't want to bring that into the palace and reign from a reaction to what you don't want to be and to what happened to you and all of that stuff. Do you, do you know what I'm saying? You don't want to bring all that unforgiveness and all those hurts and the prejudice you have towards people who hurt you. You've got to, be deep, you've got to have the oil of mirth rubbed on you until that stuff is out of your life so that you have a clear vision. And then for the last six months of her preparation, the second six months of her preparation, they put cosmetics on her that made her smell and feel smooth and beautiful. And I have a sense, and you know, the dates might not be exactly right. I'm not a really good date guy, actually. But I feel like this first part of this 2015, the Lord is detoxing us. And I think we're going to have a lot... I think the Lord is going to speak to us a lot about forgiveness, about dealing with our demons, about living in freedom, and being a people of sound mind so that our past doesn't have anything to do with our future and that we don't live in pain trying to help other people out of pain. Let me just say that again. That we don't spend our life in pain trying to help other people out of pain. The Lord, and you know, I understand that, that that's part of ministry sometimes, but I believe that the Lord wants us to be out of pain so that we can lead without distractions. And I think from July on, the beginning of July on, that the Lord will begin to do a, a work in us to beautify us. And here's the real uh, word I have. You know, um, it feels like Haman has stripped away the church's favor. You know, um, it's not a secret that for years, if you watch movies, you know, when I was a kid, there wasn't a lot of movies, but when I was a kid, you know, the priest, the Catholic priest was the good guy in every movie. You know, you know, I mean, like, you saw a priest, he was always the good guy, right? The, whoever was wearing the collar, there was, oh, you knew there was not going to be any twist to the plot. Like, that was always, there was a foundation, that guy was the good guy. Nowadays, you can just bet, if there was a priest in the movie, or anybody who wears the collar, he's probably the guy who did the crime. Like, all right, movie over. <laughs> no, there's an intentional, Bill shared about it today, actually. There's an intentional, on-purpose, Pro, proactive strategic plan to strip the church of its beauty no this is true and to make us ineffective in our ability to connect with influencers on purpose and I believe that Haman's going to hang 
I don't know how it's going to work. No, listen, uh, listen. I don't, I don't know the details, but I'm sure that I'm sure it'll work a thousand different ways. When God does something, it'll work one way for one person, another way for another person, another way for another person. Because God is that brilliant. He is. I mean, I can't wait to meet God face to face. Like I just want to talk to him about a few things. <laughs> you, you have some questions. I'm right. I don't know if I'll remember when I get up there. I, I don't remember them sometimes like right now. <laughs> If you can't take anything with you, I'm going to have my wife write the questions on my belly. So I, I got a few questions. I wasn't sure if I, I had them put a permanent marker on my, on my mortified body. Hope she got them right. <laughs> Sorry. Not polished, but authentic. I don't know how the Lord's going to do it with different people, but I feel like Haman's going to hang, and it's going to have something to do with Mordecai saving the king's life. These are all metaphors. Okay, can you deal with metaphors? Uh, Sorry, a few minutes ago I shifted to metaphors. No, I'm just not not trying to be rude. Some people don't. I get people write me notes like, I can't follow you. I'm like, okay, well, some of it is. I switch, and I'll start talking. In metaphors, and you're like, what the heck did he just say? So now I'm talking to metaphors. I don't know how this is going to happen, but somehow the story of Mordecai saving the king and thereby finding influence with the king and ultimately Esther reminding the king that the guy who saved him is the guy who this guy is going to kill, somehow the Lord is going to use believers to gain to gain. And use, he's going to use the king, the, he's going to use Mordecai's of the world to have influence with the king because believers are going to have answers that save society. I'm sorry, I don't have it all worked out, but it's going to save society. Like there's going to be answers to, that are coming into society. You know, there's, um, I don't know how we're streaming it. No, no, I'm, no, I'm, I'm not, it wasn't like I was going to say something terrible. I just like, uh, this gets downloaded to other countries and it gets really messed up, you know, like, it's not actually what I said. It's not what I meant. There are certain religions, well, let me just say this. Apple Computer was led by a guy who claimed to be a Buddhist. And that gave credibility to a religion. I'm not mad at Steve Jobs, I'm not mad at Apple, I like my computer. I'll be clear. (laughs) It's an iPad right here. I like it, I wouldn't... I wouldn't own anything else. <laughs> Thank you, Bill. Bill, I hope that's not an idol, because I'd hate to go have to tear it down where you are. <laughs> it was this joke. He knows I'm joking. Certain companies have given certain religions 
a credibility. And I believe that there's something on believers right now that is phenomenal. It's really the wisdom of another age, and it's going to result in inventions, innovations. Now, many people have been prophesying this, so I'm definitely not the only one saying this. I've heard it many times from other people. But I, I believe this is our time. It's our time, and I believe that the Lord is going to download the mind of Christ, and people are going to be like, hey, are you one of those born-again guys? I'm not, but those guys have really good ideas. Come in here and talk to us. That guy, that last guy I had working for me, he was, he's a born-again guy. I had this dream, saved our company. I'm talking about that kind of stuff. It's going to gain favor, and we're going to start becoming the head and not the tail. Not because, listen to this, not because of anything that we're doing, but because of something that he's chose to do. And we'll need to remember 10 years from now to not take credit for it. Because we tend to do that almost by accident. Like, oh, well, we were. You know, the first time you tell a story when you're humble, you're like, I had this dream. I don't even know anything about it. And, you know, I wrote it all down. And the Lord gave me it all. You know, five years later, telling a story, you're like, I had this idea. Hey, dude, wasn't that a dream? Oh, yeah, it was. Wow, you're telling the story a lot different. You're kind of the, you're, you're kind of the, the star of the show now, you know? So we have to make sure that you know, the Lord, yeah, that we stay humble. And I believe that that spirit of Haman that has been probably for 40 years at least taunting the armies of the living God is actually going to get hung on the gallows that he made for us. Proverbs, uh, there's some very funny Proverbs. Proverbs says, the wicked digs a pit for the righteous, and then he falls in it himself. And I like that, you know, I used to watch the road run, like, me. <laughs> Every time, in fact, I wrote Mimi right by, right by it. I'm like, you know, you see, the, anyway, okay, you have to be a little older. <laughs> half the crowd got it, half the crowd didn't, you know? How are we doing for time? Oh, that clock's counting up. Let's go on. Wow, the faster I preach, the more time I got. <laughs> I have transcended time. <laughs> Whoa. Bill, you need to look at what I'm doing. I think I'm getting younger. <laughs> Sorry, the clock normally counts down. <laughs> it's counting up. I just realized, like, look up again. I'm like, hey, I have more time. What do I have? This is really a prophetic night. I'm only 50 now. Step here long enough. I might be younger than that. I, I, I want to um, take the last 15 or 20 minutes or so and just talk about this one part of the story. If you'll turn to Esther 3. I kind of told you the story, but I want to take us someplace um, a little different, just to emphasize a part of this. Uh, Esther uh, chapter 3, verse 1. I'm sorry, I don't really know how to pronounce this king's name, Ahashis or something like that. But, you know, I don't feel bad because when people don't know me, they call me Velotin. 
Yeah, we're good friends, Chris Vallotton. Can I get an appointment? No. And if you call me Christopher, then you definitely don't know me. So uh, Esther chapter 3, verse 1. After these, uh, after these events, the king promoted Haman and advanced him and established his authority over all the princes who were with him. All the king's servants who were at the king's gate bowed down and paid homage to Haman. So the king had, so the king had commanded concerning him. But Mordecai neither bowed down nor paid homage. Then the king's servants who were at the king's gate said to Mordecai, Why do you transgress the king's command? Now it was when, he, when they had spoken daily to him that he would not listen to them, that they told Haman to see whether or not, uh, whether, uh, I'm sorry, to see, to see if he would listen to them. And they, told, and they told Haman to see whether Mordecai's reason would stand, for he told them that he was a Jew. When Haman saw that Mordecai neither bowed nor paid homage to him, Haman was filled with rage. But he, dis- but he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone, for they had told him who the people of Mordecai were. Therefore Haman sought to destroy all the Jews and the people of Mordecai, who were throughout the whole kingdom of the king, Hershey's or whatever his name is. How do you pronounce his name? Got any idea? Hershey's? Xerxes? Well, I had the computer read it to me, and it ain't even close to what you said. Anyway, Xerxes. <laughs> I did it like ten times, like, whatever. Got an English accent. Um, this, is a, this, is, this is a really pivotal place in the story, because um, things seemingly go wrong when Mordecai refuses to bow to, down to Haman. And Haman gets so furious that he refuses to bow down and pay homage to him. That it's, it stirs his spirit and he begins to plot against his uh, ethnic race, against the Jewish people. And uh, I want you to turn to uh, Ephesians chapter 6 for just a minute. And, and I want to just make a comment. You, you can be politically correct, but wouldn't you rather be, wouldn't you rather be Right? I mean, sometimes you can be politically correct, but why not be right instead of politically correct? And, uh, and I, I think that there's this Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Bill read some of these scriptures today. I think there's this thing that wants us to bow down that we think it's easier to bow down. It, like, it's just easy. Why not just... Have you ever thought about this, like, even in the, in the days of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the king sets up this, this big statue. Do you remember the story? This big statue in the middle of a field, and there's thousands, at least thousands of people. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego get this order. Everyone gets this order that says, hey, when you hear the sound of the instruments, bow down. And I don't know about you, but it would just be so much easier just to, like, fake it then it would be like three guys standing in the field, like let the king know you didn't bow down. Like, you know, I'll just take a knee. But there's just something about the people of God that says, I know this seems like a small thing to you, but I just can't bow down to that statue. Hey, you know, king, 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, here's the interesting part of the story. They don't mind serving the king like they're good servants to the king. You'll notice the book, the second chapter, first chapter opens with them serving the king. The king loves them, and they're wiser than the other servants. The other wise men, I know, sorry, not not too polished at all tonight. They're wiser than the wise men, and Daniel's even wiser than them, but I mean, they're wise and, they, and the, the king sets up a statue, and they're like, it's not like they're not willing to serve the king. It's not like they're will, not willing to, to, to help him succeed. There's just something about principles. There's something about convictions. Let me just say it differently. There's something about the conviction of the Lord. There's certain things I can do, and then there's just certain things I can't do. And you know, some of it's a little personal. I understand it's not totally personal. I'm not, you know, I understand there are some black and white things, obviously, but there, there, are, there are other things that are like, they're more personal. Like Daniel can't eat the king's food. Remember this? Daniel can't eat the king's food. It doesn't say Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to eat the king's food. It says Daniel couldn't eat it. He just had this conviction like vegetables only. Which is kind of, you know, not even in the Bible. Until he put it in it. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Benny Johnson diet right there like, can't eat the king's food. Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, it's like, I think this is that two tree thing that Bill was preaching on this morning. Like God always gives us choices. There's things you can do. And some of the things that we don't think Daniel should do, he does. You know, he gets, he gets numbered among the magicians. He gets numbered among the psychics in the king's court. He takes on the name of the king's God. He lets the king believe he's a polytheist. He doesn't bother to correct him. But he can't eat the king's food. It's just this thing about convictions. Is it crazy? I'd be like, you know, I'd be eating the king's food and tell him the king, hey, I'm not, you can't call me a psychic. <laughs> but he does, you know, you know what I'm saying? It's kind of a personal thing. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I mean, they could easily take a knee, you know? But no, there's like, hey guys, you know what? Let's, let's take a stand. It puts him in the fire, and the king sees, looks in there in the fire, and fire is so hot when the guy opens the door, you know, he disintegrates. And the king said, hey, how many guys did we put in there? Did we put three in there? Yep, it was three, I counted them. Isn't there a fourth one in there? He looks like the son of God. Hey, come on out of there and tell me how you got fireproof, dude. What's the trick? And there's, there's just something about trials that you pass through, not around, that give you favor. And here's Mordecai. I mean, you know, he's, he loves the king. He saved the king's life. He's not anti-government. You know what I'm saying? This is not, this is not an anti-government guy. No, I mean, I've heard people paint him like that. He's not the anti-government guy. He's helping the queen. He's, he, he, it was his idea for, for Esther to run. For office, so to speak, right? And, 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 he, and, he, can, and he helps the king. He saves his life. He's not, he's not anti-government. He just has some personal convictions. And it's, you know, it, it happens to be a pretty simple thing. Like, no, I can't actually bow down to you because that's, we have this, we're Jewish and we have this thing about Making gods out of people, we just can't do it. <laughs> sorry. Uh, makes Mordecai really mad. I'm sorry, makes um, Haman really mad. And it says that they told Mordecai several times, like, hey, Haman's really getting mad. You know, you probably want to rethink this. Yeah, can't do it. 
can't do it. I helped the king, served the king, no problem. Can't really do that. It's got a conviction about it. Hey, just, you know, kneel a little. No, can't do it. I can't compromise. This conviction I have is from the Lord. I can't do it. And uh, Ephesians 6, there's a great passage here. We read a little bit of it today. Uh, verse 10, Finally be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. Put on the form of God so that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers. See the word rulers there? Take a note. Is there, does your say rulers? Against the, whatever that word is in your, in your translation, against rulers, against the power, against powers, against world forces of this darkness, against spiritual forces, I'm sorry, spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God that you may be able to resist in the evil day, and having done everything to stand, stand firm. I want to say this, first of all, um, just a little side note on Ephesians. I don't actually think that those are demons. I don't think Paul is talking to the church of Ephesus and saying, you need to stand against demons. I think he's talking about principalities. I don't think principalities, I think there is a difference between a demon and a principality. I think there are principalities that are over municipalities that are actually, they're actually, if you will, they're, they're like generals in an army, in the demonic army, and they're trying to actually deceive people worldwide. And so I think when Paul, you know, in chapter 1, chapter 2, he says we're seated in heavy places and God's put everything under our feet. Chapter 3, we're walking in our high call in Christ Jesus. And he gets all the way to chapter 6, and he, and he says, you know, we, we've, we've been seated We've, we've walked in the high call, and now we're standing. And the goal in this chapter 6 is not to take more ground. That's chapter 1 through 5. Chapter 6 is just don't lose ground. You know how people, there's that saying that says, two steps forward and one back? Paul says, two steps forward and take and then stay. <laughs> like stand in the storm and don't back up. Are you with me? And, and this is that sense that you've taken ground, and I don't want you to back up. I love my friend, um, Joel Brooks. He's an African-American pastor, really super smart guy. And uh, we were having this conversation coming when he picked us up at the airport. And he was just talking about, I don't know, he has, his mind just is so brilliant. He's got 10 subjects going at the same time. And, and I forget how we started on the subject, but he said, you know, I figured out that evolution can't be possible. I'm like, okay, Joel, I'm listening. He said, yeah, you know, it can't be survival of the fittest because if, we were, if it was survival of the fittest, then we would have an eye in the back of our head. And our arms would work backwards and forwards so we could defend ourselves and see our enemies coming. So it doesn't make sense to survival of the fittest because this is not the best way to protect yourself. And I said, okay. He said, so it is true that the Lord is our rear guard. That's why he gives us no eye in the back of our head because he's watching our back and he's only created us to win. He hasn't created us to retreat. Therefore, we can't even see to back up. You know, we, we maybe have a little alarm, but we can't see to back up. We were created for victory. This word, it's interesting, this word. Oh, so let me just, let me say this. So... 
I don't think that these are demons in the sense of low-level demons who bother you know, most human beings. I think these are principalities and powers. And I think, did you notice it says world forces of darkness? I think world forces of darkness only trouble world changers. I don't think world forces of darkness go after people who aren't doing anything. I think world forces of darkness are the, are the demons, are the principalities that actually go after world changers. Well, it's really, but the word I really want to pick up on is this word in Ephesians verse 10, the word rulers. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, whatever word your, your Bible says there. The word ruler is really interesting. It's actually the word origin. It's actually the word origin, and in and most every place else in the Bible, it's, it's the word, fact, let me just read you a portion, this will be really interesting. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 15, Paul is talking to the Philippians, and he said, You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at my first preaching of the gospel, do you see that? At my first preaching of the gospel, I left, after I left Macedonia, no church shared in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. The word first preaching you yourselves know, Philippians, that at my first preaching, that's the exact Greek word, rulers. First preaching. And here's what I'm getting at. There's a principality called origin. And what it's doing is it is attacking, the, in, fact, it's, in, in fact, several times in the New American Standard, it's translated elementary preaching elementary teaching or elementary principles. What is the spirit doing? It's trying to change the origin of everything God made. This spirit, are you with me? This spirit is attacking the origin of our of creation. It says that can't be the origin. God couldn't have created you. You had to come from an ape. Why? Because this world force is attacking the elementary teachings, the very core things that you believe it's after. This, this spirit origin, it is attacking when life starts in the womb. Because it, its whole focus is on the elementary teaching, the origins. Are, are you following me? It is after, the, it's after when your child actually becomes human in the womb. It's attacking, it, it, it is the atheistic spirit. It is the father of the atheistic spirit. It is at the root of atheism. And it says, you came from a chimp, and by the way, a fetus isn't a child until it's this, and it's going after the origins. It is teaching. Remember, Paul said, at my first preaching, this spirit, origin, preaches a different gospel. It's the spirit behind homosexuality. The origin of your of your of your gender. Do, do, you, do you know how gender happens? Gender's in the sperm of man. Do you know that? Egg has an, an X chromosome, and if the sperm has an X chromosome, X and X female. If it's X and Y, it's male. There's no Z. I'm not being funny. It's not genetic. Listen, I'm trying to say this origin, this spirit called origin, 
is trying to say, this is genetic. And we embraced it the day we said, we're heterosexuals. How many know, if you, if you, when we embrace that we're heterosexuals, we agreed with the idea that there's something else. See, when your baby was born, if I said, well, is this one human? This statement means then some aren't. <laughs> you know, I'm saying this thing is a schemer. It is brilliant. It says, hey, you're a heterosexual. I go, yes, I am. And it doesn't even dawn on me that I'm not a heterosexual. I'm a human. <laughs> it's going after the origins. It's after the elementary principles. I don't want to tell you that our job is to not bow to it. Our job is to say, hey, we've come to serve the world. We've come to love the world. Someone wrote me the other day, Jesus did not love the world. I'm like, oh, John 3.16. I just wrote John 3.16. Look it up. <laughs> you know, hey, this isn't, pretty, this isn't very deep. They sent me first John, love not the world or the things of the world. And I sent him three, John 3.16. <laughs> That's where I started, you know, love the world. God loved the world. I understand he doesn't love worldliness, but he loves people. And here we are, and I'll finish with this. We're here to love the world. Not worldliness. We're here to love the world. We're here to help the world succeed. We're here to give the world heaven. You heard people say lots of times, and we were in the situation, and all hell broke loose. I'm like, what happens if they say five years from now? And we were in this situation, and they unleashed heaven. I don't know what happened. This crazy Christians, they just said, well, I unleashed heaven. And when they did that, all of heaven broke loose. I started prospering. My wife got well. She had three children. Our marriage was healed. How did that happen? I don't know. They unleashed heaven. But listen, listen. Listen, the story changes. The whole book of Esther changes if Mordecai does this. If Mordecai does this, we don't even know who Esther is. She's not even in, she's not even in the Bible if Mordecai does this. If Mordecai just does this, do you get that? If he just pretends, Esther not even in the Bible. The bride, not even in the Bible. If Mordecai decides to change his personal conviction and go, all right, you know, what is a little bow? But he goes, can't do it. Sorry. Listen, I, I know I said this three times already, but I just want to make sure that this gets driven deep into your heart. Mordecai very much loves the king. Very much wants to serve the king. Doesn't have an axe to grind. He's not anti-whatever the king. He just can't break his conviction to do it. Are you with me? There's a lot of people that hate the government. They hate this guy. They hate that guy. It's not, you know, we're streaming. No name's going to be named. But, but it's like, whoa, whoa, wait a second. Whoa, whoa, listen, I get that there's a whole bunch of things 
that this king's been divorced and threw his wife out for no reason and married another woman and, you know, slept with a whole bunch of concubines to find her. And, you know, well, I get this guy doesn't have my moral convictions. I can still love him and serve him with my gift, but there's few things I can't do. And, and I just want to just piggyback off of what Bill said today, because I was really, really moved by Bill's message. I, I'm not just saying that. I was really moved by Bill's message. There is something about the second tree. <laughs> and I, you know what? The second tree in your garden... Gosh, I, I want to be really careful. I do believe in absolutes. I do. But I also believe that there's personal convictions that are even that are even different for absolutes. There, there's things that you can't do that I can do, and there's things I can't do that you can't do. I, I, I read my Bible every day. Kathy can tell you. I, I go to bed at night and I forget. I turn online. I've probably missed a few times. Uh, you know, I probably miss a few times every year. But I mean, I, I have a... Conv- it's not just I do it because it's okay. I do it because it's the right thing. I mean, those things are all true. And I can stand up here and say, well, I read the Bible because... But the real reason I, made the, I read the Bible every day is because I made a commitment that I would. And I want to keep it. Now, the other things are important too, but I feel convicted when I don't. I have convictions that may not be your convictions. And I hope you read the Bible every day. Don't, I'm wrong. But, but I have a conviction because I made a commitment to God himself. And like, I don't, you know, I, I thank God for grace, but thank God for discipline. Thank God that he gives me grace to do what I said I would do. So I, I want to say there is this two-tree thing in our lives that there's the tree that nobody should eat, which is important, and there is the tree that maybe I can't eat that king's food. There's nothing evil about it. I just have his conviction. I can't do it. And I think that that second tree you, is between you and God. I, I'm talking about... Uh, you understand, like I know immorality is always wrong, right? Pornography is always wrong. Are you with me? Lying is always wrong. I'm not talking about relative righteousness. I'm just saying there's other things. There's other leaves on that tree I, I just can't actually eat. There's other food on that tree I can't touch. I can't. And that becomes an invitation to a deeper place with God when I keep this personal thing between us open. And I'm saying this, corporately, there's a tree we cannot touch. That thing about origin, we cannot, we cannot bow to that thing. I'm not talking about railing as king. I'm not talking about throwing rocks at the palace. I'm not talking about anybody. I'm just saying, hey, that, no, I'm sorry. I did not come from an ape. I'm so sorry. I'm so, I, you know what? I, I mean, how many days it took to get me here? I think, you know, six days. But, but origin, I am a son of God. I'm not a son of an ape that became son of God. I'm actually a son of God. I'm not kind of important to me. And I, I, know what, I, I know what sex I am, no matter what my temptations are. I am not my temptation. I'm not my temptation. I'm not, listen, I'm not, I'm not mad at anybody. I'm not like, ha, railing against somebody who's struggling. Gosh, can we not do that? That's not helpful. I'm just saying, I know, I know what sex I am. And if I struggle with temptation, then I'm going to fight the temptation, but I'm not going to embrace the Z gene or, or anything like that. I know when life starts, because Jesus told me when it did. So now, there's certain things, it's like, I, I can't, I'm sorry. Those things, I'll be your friend, I love you. And you can think other things than that, it's fine. It's not okay, really, but, but it's not going to hurt our friendship. 
No, I mean, it's not okay that, that you abort babies. That's not okay with me. It's not okay with me. I mean, it shouldn't be okay with you. But I can be, I can be friends with people who don't, who don't understand. I love them and help them. But I can't change. I'm not going to change my origin. I'm going to change what I think about that. Because in my mind, those convictions are solid. And there's a spirit trying to twist the elementary, the elementary, you get it? The very foundations of the way we think. And I'm like, no, I, I can't doubt that. I'm so sorry. I want you to stand. I want to pray for you all. Just put your hand on your heart right now. And, you know, this is a season of, at least for, I believe, this is a season of getting detoxed. <laughs> Some of you are like shaking your head like, oh, I, I know I need to be detoxed. I came in a condition you don't want to know about. But the Lord is doing that right now. So Lord, I just pray, I just release this oil of myrrh that you would just rub it deep into our souls and as David said you would restore our soul that you would take out unforgiveness bitterness the sense of being disillusioned disappointed all the disses (laughs) a lot of those disses um, Lord, we just, right now, we just pray for those things to be removed from our life. I mean, completely gone. That, that, that place in our soul, when someone brings up that subject or I see a certain thing happen. Sorry, I have to stop for a minute. I don't want to preach while I pray. I have this instant picture that someone lost, a, a, I think, two babies to miscarriage. And every time you see children little infants, you just have so much pain. And of course we understand that. And I just want to say, if you're watching by Bethel TV or you're in the room, Jesus is just healing your heart right now. He's just healing your heart. And it's not that you will ever forget about those babies that you have in heaven. They'll be there to greet you. But he's just healing your heart so there's no more pain attached to that memory. Okay, let me go on. And so, Lord, we just release grace into the lives of people right now. Wherever there's pain, wherever there's dysfunction, wherever there's addictions, mental illness, broken hearts, bondages, Lord, we just rub this oil into the bride. That when she gets to the king's house, she would have no spots and no wrinkles. You know, no spot or wrinkle, I used to think that was the dress. And tonight I'm realizing that one of the things that it said when I looked up the word, the oil of myrrh in in the uh, dictionary, it said it deals with wrinkles. Is that weird? I just remember that. And so, Lord, we just say, rub that stuff on us until we got no wrinkles. <laughs> All the other people said, amen. <laughs> amen. We'll just bless you guys. Thank you so much for loving me.